The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Hello, and welcome to Know the Score. I'm your host, Don DeLorente, and I'm joined once again by the lever icon, Dwayne. What's up, Dwayne? Not much. Uh, another week, playoffs have full swing. Let's go. All right. You can find Know the Score at www.cspn.us. You can also find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. You can follow us on Twitter, the show account, at KTSPod. You can follow me on Twitter at Don DeLorente, and you can follow Dwayne on Twitter at The Libra Icon. Dwayne, before we get into the playoff talk, as this is playoff season, the NFL found itself in the news again as the Dallas Cowboys released All-Pro wide receiver Dez Bryant. Uh, there was some speculation on whether Dez was going to get a long-term contract or whether the Cowboys would actually cut him. And it looks like the Cowboys have decided to move on. Des Bryant wants to remain in the NFC East quite naturally so he can get two opportunities to show the Cowboys what they're missing out on. So, Dwayne, let me get your thoughts on the Cowboys making this move to get rid of their best receiver at the moment. Well, I mean, this was one of those things where he wasn't performing at the rate of the pay he was getting so they by I mean they the Cowboys decided to make the best move for them which is widely widely unpopular with their fans and understandably so uh, Des was a very popular guy very passionate person seemed like one of the few people that did care on the Cowboys uh, through the good and the bad but this is one of those things where you know when other teams began game planning for him more and taking them out the game and he wasn't doing enough to, you know, get the ball like he's supposed to, you know, you got to make the move on what has to be done. And they felt like this was the best course of action. Do I agree with it? Probably not. I think a pay cut could have been taken. I'm sure Des at this point would have been willing to take a pay cut this day, but uh, some reports say that wasn't even offered. And because of that, he ended up getting cut. And, you know, now I would love to see him go to Washington uh, because I feel like he'd be a good focal point of their offense or even the Giants. I mean, we still got the Odell Beckham situation hanging in the balance. But just think for the moment, there's an Odell Beckham on opposite sides. That would be a very, very lethal combination. I don't know about the Des Bryant to Washington. I'm not really on that choo-choo train. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of was wondering how you would feel about that. Um, The Eagles already said they weren't interested, so I didn't even include them in the the mix because they already came out and flat out said uh, um, they're not not interested. We've got a younger version of uh, Des Bryant. His name is Josh Doxon, and we need to see if he can actually, you know, play and get him going before we take on somebody like Dez. Um, I just think that Dez was just caught up in the circumstance of his, his, his man went down, you know, Tony Romo, you know, as Tony Romo's injuries started getting the best of him and taking him away from the lineup, Dez's numbers started going down. 
And then he had, you know, the year, Dak's rookie year, where he had no Romo at all. Romo didn't play at all. And it was the first season where he was under 1,000 yards. And then last year, you know, he followed it up again with another season below 1,000 yards. So I think it was just a circumstance of, you know, the quarterback changing and, you know, a rookie quarterback probably working more of the middle of the field, safer throws, shorter throws, and taking less chances on the outside and maybe not, you know, sticking with Dez or, or giving Dez the chances that Romo would being a more veteran quarterback and, and understanding, you know, you know, having the ability to, to take some chances and make more mistakes and not have such a short leash or, you know, just a reprimand come down. So I think that may have is the real, the real reason that Dez's numbers started slipping, not maybe his physical gifts because in the games where he was featured, I mean, he still did a lot of good things. So right. I, I just think, I think I'll oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think also, you know, it was not just what was going on on the field. Uh, a lot of the antics, a lot of, I'm sure there were a lot of antics that were off the field um, or on the sideline that we don't know about that probably just eroded with the staff. And, and you know, it's going to be one of those things where, you know, we can only speculate and wonder what happens, wait till more stories come out, but uh, it's just one of those things where we just have to see how everything plays out. There's plenty of receiver needy teams out there, and he'll he'll land somewhere. Um, Maybe it won't be in the NFCs, maybe it'll be in the NFC where they do get the Cowboys, so you never know. Right. If you guys want a much more detailed in-depth conversation about Dez and you know the Cowboys make up their locker room kind of what goes on the inner workings and inner circles please take a listen to the special Grid Iron Gals podcast with Chelsea's Wright and Philip Tanner as they do a deep dive into you know the reasons why Dez was let go and and you know just you know a shoulder to cry on for Cowboy Nation out there so please check them out at Grid Iron Gals here on CSPN so, Dwayne, we're going to get into a topic that you're really passionate about, and that's the NHL playoffs. As I said earlier hey. to start the show, this is playoff season, as the NHL and NBA playoffs are going on simultaneously. So, yes. the Golden Knights of Las Vegas in their first year, in their first playoff series, sweep the LA Kings. That was a remarkable thing. And the main thing about that series is uh, the Vegas Golden Knights, they're the expansion team, and they took the league by storm. They won the Pacific Division. Uh, they got the top seed. And many people were saying that the LA Kings, who with this core have won two Stanley Cups, they were the most experienced, most uh, focused team, and actually were probably one of the worst matches for Las Vegas, but it came down to great goaltending on both ends, but Vegas had more offense and just enough offense to um, get the Kings out of here. And, you know, me being a anti-Ella Kings fan or rival or whatever, it's actually kind of hilarious to me, but um, shout out to Vegas. They're the first team to go to the second round uh, with the win, and and, um, you know, they're trying to – they're going for the cup. You know, they're trying to 
won the championship in their first season and really make history. They've already made plenty of history, and it's a great thing to see. It's something special to watch right now. All right. The Winnipeg Jets are leading the Minnesota Wild three games to one. Yeah, Sam, with this series, the it's really been all about the the goaltending of Connor Hellebuck, who's uh, one of the three uh, Vezina Trophy finalists. One thing about this um, goaltender is uh, he's very, very active in between the pipes. He pl- he makes a lot of great stops. And also, one thing that you know he did was uh, get the first shutout in Winnipeg Jets history. Remember, these Winnipeg Jets were the former Atlanta Thrashers. So uh, this is something that is a milestone for this franchise. And Minnesota had a offensive explosion in game three uh then they were they won game three six to two they were shut out two to nothing but now it's winner go home friday night in winnipeg for this team right the nashville predators lead the colorado avalanche two games to one so in this series the spin the nashville predators they won the president's trophy with the best record in the nhl they have home ice throughout the uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, including the Stanley Cup if they get there. And, you know, they held serve at home one in the first two games, uh, probably the toughest place to play in the NHL, Bridgestone Arena. Uh, me working those games personally, I know how loud it is. I know how crazy that crowd can be. Um, the home team has scored five goals in each of these first three games, and the Colorado Avalanche has scored first in all three of these games. So, it's one of those things where the it's going to come down to can the Avalanche try to get one in Nashville, or if anybody if the Predators move on, the key to beating them is uh, winning in Nashville, at least getting one. Um, you got probably the best goaltender, my pick for the Vezina Trophy, Pecorine in the between the pipes, um, PK Subban, and a lot of young talent on the Predators. It's a mix of young and old. Uh, you got the young guns of the Avalanche, uh, McKinnon, Landeskog, Barry, and these guys are really showing that they're hanging in there. But with Game Four coming up tonight in Denver, as we record this, um, the Avalanche trying to make it two-two going back to Music City. All right, the San Jose Sharks lead the Mighty hey. Ducks three to one behind it. Eight to one beatdown in game three. Well, actually, it's three games to none. So oh, three games to none. Excuse me. Three, yeah. So it's three games to none, and uh, game four is tonight in San Jose. Uh, as we record this, the Sharks are going for the sweep. The last time, however, the Sharks were up three games to none. That was the infamous 2014 season when they were up three games to none on the Los Angeles Kings, and they squandered that league and became the fourth team in NHL history to lose. Uh, three games to none lead, and the fifth team in all the major sports to lose a three none lead and get reverse swept. So, uh, but a lot of those guys in San Jose, there's only a handful of players left from that team. Uh, there's a whole lot of new faces, a new coach, a new regime going on. So, this may be different. The Sharks have outplayed the Ducks essentially this whole series. They won game one, three nothing. The Ducks' best game was. Game two, the Sharks won three game three to two in the course of eight one shelling at the tank. So 
Uh, San Jose looks to follow it up with the sweep and play Vegas in the second round. All right. Now we're going to shift over to the Eastern Conference where the Boston Bruins lead the Maple Leafs two games to one. So this series, um, this series has really been more of the lines of the young, the young guns of the Boston Bruins. A lot of people were pointing out their inexperience and Toronto, who has more experience, they have the more experienced coach, they have the more experienced players. They have a team that was up three to nothing in Game Seven the last time they they played in 2013, and the Bruins ended up coming back and winning in overtime five to four. And with this series, uh, the Maple Leafs got one back in Toronto. They're looking to get another one back uh, tomorrow night in in uh, Toronto as well, and. And if the Bruins can get one more going back to the Garden, I think they'll close them out in five. But uh, maybe this game will go, the series will go either six or seven, hopefully. All right. The Tampa Bay Lightning are leading the New Jersey Devils two games to one. Well, the Tampa Bay Lightning are the best team in the Eastern Conference. I thought they were the best team all season. They did have a little stretch towards the end where they squandered the President's Trophy to the Predators. Uh, including the loss late in the season to Nashville. But uh, Steven Stamkos is the guy. Uh, you got guys like Tommy Johnson, uh, Andre Vasilevsky, who's the third Vezina finalist in this season. He's been lights out for the Lightning. And, you know, New Jersey, they started off with a young goaltender named Keith Kincaid, but he was pretty ineffective in the first two games in Tampa. They went back to the old vet, Corey Schneider, for Game three, the Devils took game three at home in Newark. They play in about five minutes from now, five to ten minutes from now, from the Rock Prudential Center in uh, Newark, New Jersey. Uh, the Devils trying to even that series up, taking it back to Tampa. All right. The Washington Capitals got off the mat in Columbus last night and got an overtime win to make that series 2-1 to one in favor of the Blue Jackets. Yes, yeah, so this series has had a uh, all three games have gone to overtime. The game last night went to double overtime, and the Capitals were able to uh, pull off the win. Um, you know, this is a team that, since Alex Ovechkin has been there, he has not got past the second round. And and um, it's probably one of those things now where if they can't even get out the first round, what do you do to this uh, team? Do you blow it up? Do you try to retool? Um, they got rid of one coach who was known for not getting past the first round or the second round, and they replaced him with another coach who is not able to get past the first or the second round. So it is, it's one of those things where what do you do uh, to this team if they lose um, – uh, game four is Thursday in Columbus. Uh, the Blue Jackets will try to fire those cannons and get back to Washington three up three one and try to close them out there. But um, the last time the Capitals were down 0-2, they ended up winning the series, but they got ousted by the Pittsburgh Penguins both uh, the last time that happened. So, all right, and the last series in the East, probably the most exciting series in the East that you told us to watch, the Penguins lead the Flyers two games to one. Yes, this has been uh, really a clinic by the Pittsburgh Penguins. In one game one, seven to nothing. Uh, the Flyers came back, showed some pride, 
won game two, five to one. Pittsburgh returned the favor in Philadelphia, five to one. As we record this, game three is right now, and the Penguins are up one nothing. So um, it's one of those um, series where they are trying. The Flyers are a young team. The Penguins are the two-time Stanley Cup champions, and you know this is a fierce rivalry. But I really think that this is more along the line. This is a Pittsburgh series to lose. They're trying to go for a three-peat. It's just something about the playoffs that get this team going because they really haven't been all that great this year. Yeah, they they really struggled uh, towards the middle of the season after the All Star break, especially they went on a little swoon, but they got together here at the end. And like you said, they've been lights out in the playoffs. Absolutely, and I think they will, you know, whoever they get in the second round, whether it's Washington or Columbus, is going to have a tough uh, matchup there. Right, right. A reminder that this is Know the Score. We are brought to you by CSPN.us, and this week we are sponsored by the Universal Fan Con. Please, two weeks away, y'all. Go sign up universalfancon.com to get your ticket information. See who's going to be there. I heard the chairman of the CSPN is going to be there. I heard the Asia Ali from the Bad and Boozy podcast is going to be there. And of course, the price of admission to get a hug from Mel, aka Beauty Jackson. So please, please, please support, go show love to universalfancon.com for all your tickets, information. Uh, have a great weekend up in Baltimore, the 27th through the 29th, uh, and meet some of your favorite podcasters along the way. So, Dwayne, we're going to shift into the NBA playoffs. As the playoffs got started on Saturday afternoon, as the Warriors defeated the Spurs 113-92 to behind Klay Thompson, 27 points on 11-13 shooting in Game 1. Then, the Warriors follow that up with a win in Game 2, 116 to 101 behind 32 points from Kevin Durant and another 31 from the hot shooting Clay Thompson. So it looks like there's no uh, rest for Clay Thompson that the, uh, you know, rest from the uh, fractured thumb and the lack of Steph has somehow gotten Clay Thompson locked in. And I think he's only missed something ridiculous, like four or five shots in these two games so far to combine. Yeah, he's been, He's been scorching hot, to put it mildly, and I think Draymond Green said it best. I think people forgot who these guys are, and they are showing that, you know, they are still here. They are healthy. They are not going anywhere. The title still goes through Oakland, and but they are beating up a Spurs team who has a lot of issues with their superstar right now. They also have a lot of... You know, they look old and sluggish, and it's just tough. I mean, we'll see how they respond in game three. LaMarcus Aldridge is doing all that he can do. Um, Rudy Gay has been effective, but, you know, not enough to slow down these um, Golden State Warriors. And without uh, Kawhi Leonard with the mixed diagnosis and uh, the gigantic rift between him and the Spurs is just pretty it's pretty ugly at this point and you know, I think it's just one of those things that just gotta put this team out the pasture and move forward and get this uh, cloud get this cloud removed over the heads of the Spurs organization, which is a very rare case. 
Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like right now, man, they're they're young guys. Like Ryan Anderson, he ain't giving them nothing. I think he had like zero points. He was like zero for six in one game. Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah. Kyle Anderson. Yeah, Kyle Anderson. Effective. I think. Yeah, Kyle Anderson. Yeah, yeah he's not he's not been uh, giving them much. Uh, Mur- Mills has been off. <laughs> yeah, Murray hasn't really been giving them much. You know, they they kind of need they kind of need everybody to chip in. Danny Green had a, a bad game in the second mm-hmm. game, um, so. Yeah, the Spurs right now are just a team that we don't recognize. Um, you know, they're, they're just, like you said, just in total disarray compared to, you know, what they usually bring into the playoffs as far as, you know, scoring punch and, and, and you know, consistent play. That's a prowess. Yeah. Right. So a lot of things going on there. Move on to the Great White North as the Raptors outlasted the Wizards 114 to 106 in game one. Serge Ibaka scored 23 to pace the Raptors. John Wall had 23 points and 15 assists in a losing effort. The Raptors then used a huge first half and a playoff career high 37 from DeMar Rosen to win game two, 130 to 119. So, Dwayne, we kind of put the bullseye on Toronto in our playoff preview as they would, you know, be the shakiest one seed or the team that we thought would be most acceptable to an upset. But so far, they've come out and handled business against Washington. Washington does not start these basketball games off very well, and it's kind of like they're in chase-down mode for the whole game. And, you know, they just run out of gas. They get close, but they run out of gas in the fourth quarter. So uh, kind of your uh, uh, analysis of, you know, the Raptors so far holding serve on their home court. Well, first off, I mean, so far Toronto's proven me wrong, and I am bad enough to admit that. And so – uh, with that being said, the uh, Raptors are getting a third scoring option from Serge Ibaka, 23-12. and 12. The bench has been amazing uh, throughout this season. I think, I mean, this uh, series, I should say. Uh, they have gotten a lot of contributions off the bench. Um, and game one, I mean, Lowry and DeRozan didn't even have to do anything because the bench uh, picked up the slack. But they gave to the two stars uh DeRozan really started he asserted himself the most I mean he was lights out all game Toronto literally just took that one from wire to wire and they showed that you know they can hold serve at home now they're up 2-0 uh DeRozan did say it best that you know we got to win on their floor because they're going to come out it's going to be a different environment so I think once the you know it's always the series doesn't start until the road team wins a game so we will see how uh the raptors do in game game three in washington uh this weekend all right the philadelphia 76ers they used a fantastic display from behind the three-point line in game one going 18 from 28 and they got 17 points 14 assists and nine rebounds from rookie ben simmons to blow out the miami heat 130 to 103 but in game two Dwayne Wade turned back the clock and scored 28 points as the Heat came out victorious, 113 to 103. Uh, funny story about game one. I was getting ready to go out and uh, I peeped the score. And the Heat were up by like nine points, looked to be pretty much in control, you know, kind of like midway through the third quarter. So I get to where I'm going and I look back at the television and we're midway through the fourth quarter. And the 76ers have like a 15-point lead. And I'm like, what in the world just happened? 
And then I looked at the box score the next day and saw that three-point percentage and was like, oh, they got hot. Yeah, extremely hot. And one thing I can say is the Sixers team is just fun to watch. Like, they they run, they shoot, they play defense. And if this is what we had to wait three or four or five years to see this uh, result, then it was worth the process. And and uh, kudos to the Sixers organization. They stayed the course. They stayed even when they got a new regime to come in. The Colangelo's could have easily dismantled what was going on. They stuck out with what was happening. Uh, they stuck with Brett Brown. They could have easily fired him, brought somebody that they know in, and they didn't. And look at the results now. I mean, this was a team that closed out the season with 16 straight wins. They won a 17 straight. And they were, and they just showed the the huge um, display and the shooting prowess was amazing. And it was just on the game two for that point. And we saw the uh, vintage Wade in game two. And and uh, we saw what what happens when Kevin Hart gets in your ear. <laughs> and now with the fact that the series is tied at one, I'm hoping this um, becomes one of the more entertaining series as it goes back to Miami and we just see what, what happens from there. There's so many subplots. Yeah, we're expecting Joel Embiid to maybe come back for game three. So that he's adds. Doubtful. Oh, he's still doubtful. Okay. Yeah. I know he's getting frustrated with the, uh, you know, missing these playoff games. So, um, you know, hopefully he can get in this first round before, you know, it gets decided. But, you know, that'll just be one more cog in the wheel for the 76ers. So, right. um, but hopefully, you know, it, he can get in and make a difference because I know he's getting restless sitting over there in those suits. Absolutely, absolutely. Next up, the New Orleans Pelicans held on down the stretch to defeat the Blazers 97-95 to in Game 1. Anthony Davis scored 35 points and had 14 rebounds and 4 blocks in his first ever playoff game. In Game 2, Drew Holiday set a career playoff high with 33 points as the Pelicans used their huge third quarter to defeat the Blazers 111-102. to uh, This is a series that a lot of people, uh, you know, was kind of a question mark. They didn't know how the Pelicans would perform. Anthony Davis's first run in the playoffs, uh, but they've come out, stole two games on the road. And a lot of people are thinking that this may be a sweep as the Pelicans head back home for game three and four. Uh, well, Dwayne, your thoughts? Well, with the way people in New Orleans are acting there, tonight this series is over and it will be a sweep. And I just think that, you know, we just need to let these games play out. And if Dame Willard is going to be the guy that, he expects to be, he wants to be what he should be. He needs to show it now because he was on a milk cart in the game two. Um, Drew Holiday scorched him on defense. He wouldn't even try to play Rajon Rondo on defense because every time um, he play Rondo, Rondo would just go right by him. So it's one of those situations now where, you know, you're – we got to see what Portland brings in game three, how desperate they are. And if they really want to show us that they want to be, they want to be that team because right now they're not showing it whatsoever. And, and, uh, you know, hats off to the Pelicans. They're doing what they need to do to win. And, um, and now they're going home. That's what the King center is going to be pretty rocking. Now I think the city is, 
getting on with this team now. And I think once you get the attention of New Orleans on the sports scene, you know, if you can sustain that attention, uh, you got a raucous crowd that's coming in games three and four, and Portland may be swept out the playoffs. If Portland does get swept out of these playoffs, do you think it's time for them to move on from Dame Lillard and try to, you know, they've done this like seven years now. The last, I think, three years, I don't think they've made it out of the first round or they hadn't got past the second round in the playoffs. Do you think that they should, you know, think about moving on and, and trading him and starting a rebuild? I don't think they're going to do that. Do I think they should? No. I don't think they should. I think he had he had a couple guys, you know, he had LaMarcus Aldridge, LaMarcus chose to leave. Um, and I think with the way this team's currently constructed, you might be able to tinker with some pieces, try to see if somebody does decide to sign with this team, but you know, or see if you can unload him. I don't think you should. I don't think Neil Oshie, I believe he's still a GM. I don't think he's going to pull the plug on this just yet. I think he's going to try to find something that will uh, get somebody to come and get a starter cut to Portland, but um, I don't think they should give it up just yet. They're not. I don't think they're at that point because they got a three seed in a very tight Western Conference that could have easily been a six seven or eight so you know you're getting home court you're getting the higher seed i would say if they were along the lines of a lower seed and they were they were doing this then yeah blow it up but i don't think they should pull the plug just yet all right now we're going to talk about your beloved celtics as they won an overtime classic in game one over the milwaukee bucks Chris Middleton answered Terry Rozier's three-pointer with a desperation heave with half a second to go to send the game into overtime. And, and I did not hit the overtime button in Buffalo Wild Wings, no matter what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> and Jason Tatum took over in that overtime period as Boston won game one. The Celtics came back and won game two behind a career playoff high 30 points from Jalen Brown, 120 to 106. Uh, the Bucks never really got out of the starting blocks in game two. Uh, Boston uh, started fast, and they just kept it coming. Jalen Brown really, uh, you know, showed out in this game, uh, put all his skills on display. So talk about your team, man, the Celtics. You know, no Kyrie, no Gordon Hayward. But, you know, we said that maybe the best pure coach in these playoffs was Brad Stevens, and he would have to work some magic. And so far, so good. You're on mute, Dwayne, still. Yeah, so the crowd, yeah, it's two good wins in Boston. Uh I think the the garden magic kind of helped too. I mean, the way that the team was just motivated from opening tip to the final buzzer in game two was pretty awesome to see. But, you know, this is where, where the series begins now. I mean, this, you're going on the road to Milwaukee, a tough place to play at the Bradley Center, which is uh, trying to, you know, stay open for a little bit longer. And so I know the Bucks are trying to go ahead and get two, but what Milwaukee needs to do is find some guys that can play in the rotate, play in a consistent rotation. Because aside from Giannis Antetokounmpo, um, Eric Bledsoe's been missing. And I don't know where Jason Terry is. I don't know. Uh, Chris Middleton has been that second scorer, but they need some kind of. Um, rotation to match with the Celtics rotation because what they're doing right now just is not cutting it whatsoever. I think that Boston is playing very well on the defensive side of the ball and there's converting offense. 
I think the Bucks had 35 turnovers in the first two games. And so when you turn the ball over, when you force turnovers, you're playing to your opponent's strengths. And Boston's taking advantage of those turnovers. And a lot of people wrote Boston off, and I think that's what is fueling these guys. I think, you know, Kyrie went down, the season was over. And now at the end of the day, Boston's up two games or none, but this series is far from over. Uh, you know, even though the Celtics are 35-0 and all time, when leading 2-0 and the Bucks are on 13, they have been first in these uh, sports years. So, you know, we can't just write Milwaukee off just yet, so. Uh, we'll just see how it happens Friday and and then Sunday. The end of game one was like watching the NCAA tournament game with just missed free throws. And then all of a sudden, okay, here we go. We come down and Rozier hits that three and you're like 0.5 seconds to go. And you're like, oh, well, that was a good try, you know, because we had Broadden hit the three to tie it up before that. And then, right. and then, you know, Rozier comes down and he's, you know, almost makes Bledsoe fall and he hits right. a three and then, you know, Celtics up by one half a second. You're like, well, what in the world can Milwaukee do? And they literally got a Hail Mary on a Sunday afternoon as that Middleton shot was like. Well, that was a, that <laughs> was a Hail Mary. Like 47 I, feet. Yes. 47 foot Eve. Like you, that was a 47 foot tap pretty much because. Yeah, didn't have that much time. We literally just caught and released the ball, like right. And you know, it was a great shot, but like I said, I didn't, I did not authorize that overtime button. So, <laughs> so that, yeah, one of the you know best uh, you know ends of regulation to any playoff game in NBA history in recent memory for sure. So yeah, uh, just you know, shout out to the Celtics. I, I thought they were being big trouble uh, with no Kyrie, but you told us that Rozier was good money, and uh, so far so good. Gary Terry. So, um, you know, it's funny how Eric Bledsoe said he doesn't know who the who the F Terry Rozier is. And um, we'll see how games three play out. We'll see how I think Rozier is going to be motivated as bullets and board materials. So right. uh, we'll go from there. The Indiana Pacers ran the Cavaliers off their home court 98 to 80 behind Victor Oladipo's 32 points. The Pacers handed LeBron James his first ever loss in the opening round of the playoffs. What a stat. Yeah, it was, uh, it was wild. Um, I mean, what can you really say? I mean, the, you got to give the credit to the Pacers. I mean, they, they only have one national game all year, so I think nobody really knew what they can bring. And they brought it. They... They hit the Cavs in the mouth, and the Cavs didn't know what what hit them. And it's uh, one of those things now where Cleveland has to be desperate. I mean, game game two is going on right now as we uh, as we uh, do this podcast, and it looks like LeBron's going off right now. He's got twenty in the first quarter uh, right <laughs> I now. Think, so. I think everybody kind of figured that this would be <laughs> one of those LeBron James. 45, 40 might be coming in on the low side tonight. Right. So, so yeah, so it's going to be uh, one of those things. That I think it got off to a 22 to 4 lead right. in game two. And, and, um, so yeah, the Cavs, you know, there's no, there's no room for error in this matchup. I think if they go, it's going to be a very tough road to go, go to Conceco, our Bankers Life Fieldhouse. Down two games of none, so 
uh, we will see how how that uh, plays out. Uh, see how that plays out when the series goes along. The Pacers made the Cavs look slow and old, and even though the Cavs made all these trades to no longer be slow and old, um, you know. They, I mean, Sabonis himself, I know, missed at least five shots at the rim. I mean, this really could have been like a 30-point, like, really beat down. But, you know, some of the other guys that we were expected to play well for the Pacers didn't really have their best games, you know, maybe playoff jitters or whatever. But, you know, the Cavaliers definitely did not look like that they were able to keep up as far as foot speed open court, getting the loose balls, chasing down rebounds type of, you know, you know, stealing, getting, you know, Oladipo, I know had six steals in this game at least. So, right. you know, just everything that had to do with speed and tempo was definitely in the Pacers favor in that first game. And, yeah, you know, and that's, and that's how they beat them the two times in the regular season. I mean, it's like we said in the, in the previous show, the, this is no slouch of the Indiana team. They're not, they're not where they are for a reason. They got one of they got a coach who literally was one of the top steals guys in the league for many years that he was in, and Nate McMillan. And he also played alongside Gary Payton, who also was one of the top uh, steals um, uh, player, top, top steals getters. I mean, they didn't call him the glove for nothing. So, um, you know, that old school mentality is really rubbed off on the Pacers, and shout out to them. All right. Oklahoma City. Behind the hot shooting of Paul George, defeated the Jazz 116-108 to in Game 1. Paul George scored 36 points. Donovan Mitchell, in his first playoff game, had 27 points and 10 rebounds. Um, as we stated in the preview, uh, th- that 36-point performance was the reason why uh, the Warriors were so happy that the Spurs fell to them and not OKC because uh, the Warriors do not want to face OKC until they get Steph Curry back to match, you know, the three big guys that OKC has. Uh, Carmelo, it took him a little while to get going, but he did get going in this game. And Russell Westbrook, surprisingly, was the odd man out in this particular game uh, this night. So just talk about OKC, Paul George. You know, he's had some moments, but uh, he stepped up big in this playoff game and put OKC on, on, on their back to get that first victory. Yeah, and I think Russell Westbrook will be just fine with, with this result because um, this was the Paul George show, and he was really on it, and he was looking. I mean, those shots that he took kept falling, and he was uh, lights out throughout this game. I'm very impressed with the way the Thunder came out and played. Um, they outplayed the Jazz. They outshot the Jazz. They they looked really good, and you know, one of the best um, environments in the NBA in the postseason is Oklahoma City. So. Uh, you know, that crowd, when they're in playoff mode and they really truly become Loud City, it's something special to see. Yeah, um, Ingle did not have a very good game. And so Donovan Mitchell was kind of out there by himself a little bit uh, compared to what he usually gets some, you know, help. Uh, they did a good job on keeping uh, Gobert off of the offensive uh, backboard. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, Donovan Mitchell was kind of a one man band uh, out there in game one. But uh, we'll see kind of what, you know, game, how Quinn Snyder adjusts in game two, and maybe he can get some more of his guys involved, and maybe Mitchell not have to carry so much of the load. Right. And game two is about to start in a few minutes as we record this. So I'll be trying to see what, what adjustments they do make and if any. But 
as I do a lot of the flipping around tonight. We'll see what happens. Right. And the last series saw the Houston Rockets outlast the Timberwolves 104-101 behind James Harden's 44 points. Uh, he paced the Rockets to get the win. Uh, this game was a lot tighter than I thought it would be. Uh, the, Tim- the Timberwolves, um, you know, in the third quarter there and really much of the fourth quarter as well, uh, really found their offense. They were really clicking. Uh, Jimmy Butler was making timely shots and big shots. But Harden and, and, and Chris Paul, man, they just make the winning plays. Kent Capella, like I said, he's a big key. He was dominating the inside, uh, cleaning up the yeah. backboards on defense, blocking shots. So, you know, the Rockets got game one at home, but uh, the Timberwolves played them a lot closer than I thought most people thought it would be. Yeah, and I think that was the problem. Most people thought this would be a, a cakewalk for the Rockets, but this Timberwolves team is no slouch. I mean, if Carl Anthony Towns can get – some more buckets uh, if he can get try to solve that Clint Capella problem. I think this would be a one nothing lead in favor of Minnesota. Um, you know we have seen this. Um, I think a lot of people are expecting more out of Andrew Wiggins. I mean you got to remember Andrew Wiggins went from one A one B to option three uh, with Jimmy Butler arrived and and uh, I don't know what happened on that last shot. Uh, of the game, I think Jimmy Butler was looking for the Rockets to foul, but the Rockets did not foul, so he just took a wild shot and <laughs> missed everything. But this is a team that's very competitive. I think that it's going to be – I think the Rockets take it in five or six, but these games just may be a lot closer. If James Harden didn't have that offensive explosion uh, in the second half, we might be saying the Wolves up one nothing instead of the Rockets. Yeah, it was uh, really good to see Derrick Rose, man, uh, hit hits a lot of shots and, and, and keep, uh, you know, the Timberwolves kind of in the game there in the first half. He was right. really the catalyst to kind of keep the game close till you know, Jimmy Butler and a couple other guys started getting involved. So it was kind of good to see Derrick Rose flash, uh, you know, some of that that talent that we know that he has, but, you know, he hasn't been able to put it on display on a consistent basis. So um, I was really, like I said, I was really impressed by the Timberwolves. I thought that they, especially with the way the game started, Clint Capella getting dunks and, uh, you know, uh, Harden shooting threes and driving doing what he wanted. They started out, they had like a 10-point lead, and I was like, oh, well, I think I'm going to be turning this one off early. But, you know, they kind of steadied themselves and and stayed in the game, and and it made it worth a game worth watching until the very end. So um, I'm like you. I'm very intrigued by just kind of the grind that the Timberwolves may actually put on the Rockets. We know Tibbs is all about, you know, making everything hard. You know, not, not, nothing's going to come easy for Houston. So if they do get a five or six game series, that may take a toll on them in the next round uh, that they probably didn't foresee before they started this, where they figured, oh, we just wipe them off the map really fast, get them out of the way. Because, I mean, they pretty much owned them during the regular season. It wasn't even close, but much closer here in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think the thing also we just got to make sure that um, we can't the Wolves just cannot you know keep Carl Anthony Towns in the dark. I mean, eight points, twelve rebounds. He had a seemed to be hanging out a little bit too much on the perimeter. Yeah, I think I think I don't know if it's the Capella factor or what, but yeah, he's got to be more assertive. Um, if you could get Capella in foul trouble, then then uh, you should be able to dominate the paint from there. Right, right. Because uh, uh, Ryan Anderson is still unavailable right now. 
And right. so that's one less big guy defensively and one less shooter um, offensively that they kind of have to use if Capella does get into some kind of foul trouble. So, yeah, that might be the uh, the way to go for Minnesota to start off early, try to get Capella in some early foul trouble and make Houston adjust uh, after that. So, like we said, um, you know, some of these games have gone to their game two. Most of these uh, series in the playoffs are having their game twos tonight. So on the next episode, we'll probably be a game three or game four and maybe one or two of these series may be over. So we'll definitely keep you abreast here on know the score. So Dwayne, before we uh, wrap up anything else you'd like to add any shout outs, thank yous or any, uh, you know, things that we didn't cover that you'd like to get to speak on. Um, there's, I just want to say, you know, shout out to my dad. He has um, rotator cut surgery, but he is recovering and he's doing fine at home. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, for the most part, I would say on the soccer pitch, uh, Mohamed Salah of Liverpool has 40 goals on the season. The last uh, Liverpool player to do that, Ian Rush, he had 47. Uh, with Liverpool um, still having the Premier League schedule left, along with um, they're in the Final Four in the Champions League. Uh, they got the semifinal against uh, Salah's old club, AS Roma who um, miraculously came back and beat Barcelona and probably one of the gigantic upsets of the soccer world. Uh, Barcelona was up three to nothing, and uh, Roma had an... Actually, they were up three to one. Roma had an away goal, um, and they actually came back and, and won on the away goal aggregate. Uh, the aggregate was four to four. Roma came back and won, so probably pulled off the biggest upset because we were expecting Ronaldo and Messi part eighty million for the Champions League title, but we're not getting that this year. All right. I'd like to give a big tip of the cap to my man, Daryl Bubba Wallace Jr., who led a few laps this weekend in Bristol as he put the iconic 43 car but the red and blue color scheme to the front for a bunch of laps there uh on monday as the race got rained out on sunday and uh yeah twitter responded accordingly and everybody was proud to see you know bubba running well uh cautions and some circumstances had him finishing uh, just out of the top 10 it was 15th but another good run for bubba wallace and i can't wait to show up in richmond and see him live and in person this weekend i'm looking forward to it give a big shout out to miss deja gilliam for the hookup gonna have hot passes so we're gonna be in the pits we're gonna be like up close and personal this weekend so looking forward to uh, heading up to richmond and, and checking out some nascar in person so uh, if you follow me on twitter instagram know the score um, the last time I was at Richmond, the cell phone service was a little iffy, so it may be later that night or the next day, but there should be lots of videos and pictures of the uh, race uh, day up on my uh, social media. So I'm looking very much forward to uh, hanging out and watching some NASCAR this weekend. So big shout out to Bubba Wallace and the 43 team uh, that led a bunch of laps uh, this past Monday and showing that, yeah, he does belong in the sport. So for my co-host, the Libra icon, I'm Don DeLorenzo. And now, you know the score.